My name is Pastor John. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at the Layton campus. And um, like George said, we're really glad to see you all here today. I think there's definitely some new faces in the crowd. Sorry, I keep jiggling around with this here. I feel like it's going to fall off. There we go. Um, and uh, especially if you're a visitor or maybe haven't, maybe haven't been here for a little while and you're back, we're certainly glad to see you. And, and I'm happy today to introduce the first message in a new series called Through the Book of Galatians. It's a, a six-week series we're going to walk through. I'm going to start with asking a couple questions. Have you ever wondered why so many religions in the world? Different spinoffs and denominations, even, even in the, the Christian faith alone, right? And how can someone truly know which ones are acceptable to God, or if any? And it's, it's really more personal than that, right? Because what we are really asking is, how can I know that God accepts me? That God and I are on good terms? I mean, what if, heaven forbid, we were all to die in the next five seconds? All right, I think we're good. Can we be certain that our relationship with God is in good standing? That our debts to God have been fully settled? Or, you know, is, is pleasing God simply too complicated? You know, that's, that's just something you, you can't know. So we do our best, we roll the dice, and hope that it just all works out. I mean, after all, I try to be a good person. Or has God sent us revelation so that we may know a clear and sure path to salvation? Today, there are are many different competing paths to God, many religions, and, and this is nothing new. The same was true back in the first century when the New Testament was written. And that's really how we got the book of Galatians. God allowed some error to enter into the Galatian churches, and he inspired the Apostle Paul to write a letter to these churches to address it. And we know that often the best, time, the best way to identify error is by putting truth up next to it, right? The best way to identify that crooked line is with a straight edge. So when it comes to answering this ultimate question, how can I be made right with God? Over the next six weeks, the book of Galatians will be our, our plumb line, our straight edge to answer this crucial question. Now, now this week, we'll, we'll be in chapter one. It's, uh, uh, the book of Galatians itself is, is six chapters, and so hence a six-week series. And, and each week, we'll, you know, we'll cover a new chapter and look at some different major themes, but we're not going to be able to go verse by verse. So if you want to get the most out of this series, then I've got a challenge for you, and here it is. Read one chapter of Galatians every day for the next six weeks. Commit to reading a chapter a day, not simply to get to know the Bible, but to get to know its author. That scripture would become alive to you 
that God would meet you, the living God would meet you in his word. Now, chapter one today, we've entitled One, one Gospel, and gospel simply just means good news. And we'll discover why uh, Paul wrote this passionate letter to the churches in Galatia, and then learn to distinguish between really the, the true gospel message and its counterfeit. But before we jump into the book of Galatians, we're going to take a little time to understand the story behind the book. And the good news is, for context, we actually can use Scripture. Um, we, we can go to the book of Acts for context because the book of Acts gives us details about Paul's missionary journeys through this Galatian territory. Now, the Jesus movement actually started in Jerusalem uh, with primary, primarily Jewish believers in Christ. But God had promised to make a way back to himself for all people, not just Jewish people. And he had commissioned Paul to spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem to the Gentiles. Now, an easy way to think of Gentiles is just everyone who wasn't Jewish. So by the time Paul wrote his letter to the, to the Galatians, the gospel had spread uh, hundreds of, of miles, really, outside of its epicenter in Jerusalem on its way to the ends of the earth. And right there, I want to just stop and, and with, with a little side note. I got to thinking about this. You know, are, have we, do I, really stop and contemplate and appreciate the fact that we are the result of Paul's obedience to push the gospel outside of his comfort zone. Now, Paul sets, his, sets an example for us, right? Now, maybe the ends of the earth for us starts around our dining room table in our living rooms and then moves down our driveway to the end of our block and then into our workplace and then into our Christian or non-Christian, I should say, friend groups and into the marketplace. And, and I, I mean no, no disrespect here at all, but I would bet that sharing Christ with people that God has providentially put in your path would look and feel a bunch more like one of Paul's mission trips than many of what passes for mission trips today. Now, speaking of mission trips, on his first missionary journey, Paul traveled through the region of Galatia to share the gospel and plant churches. And like I said, we can look at the book of Acts to glean some information. So we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 13. Uh, and we're going to jump around quite a bit here from 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, all the way to verse 43. And there's a whole bunch there in the middle. And I would encourage you all to actually read the book of Acts chapter 13, 14, and, and really 15, to get a, a sense of what, everything that was going on on these journeys that Paul was on. But, but let's read this verse together here. So, or these few verses. So, Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Poseidon. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. All right, so we see here that Paul liked to use local synagogues as really a springboard to share the gospel. And these synagogues were just places where Jewish people worshipped. 
And now Paul didn't have, you know, a New Testament. He hadn't, he hadn't written it yet. But, but God gave Paul miraculous signs and Paul would preach out of the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, to show and to really prove how the resurrected Jesus was the Savior, was their Messiah. Not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles too. And Paul didn't discriminate who he preached this message, message to. And many believed. And then, so the farther from Jerusalem Paul got, the more believing, the, the believing Gentile population increased. But the Jewish influence in the early churches was still very strong. And in spite of Paul's exhortation in verse 43 that these new believers in Galatia would continue to rely on the grace of God, the train began to derail. And soon after Paul left the region, a group of false believers infiltrated the Galatian churches to bring a different message than what Paul was teaching. Now, they were, they were Jewish people who had embraced Jesus. They believed in Jesus' death on the cross. They believed in his resurrection from the dead. They believed that Jesus was the Savior, but they attacked Paul's credentials and claimed that his message fell short. They added some, some rules to the message of grace that Paul had told them to rely on. These additional rules actually turn the gospel into a different message altogether. And historians call these false teachers Judaizers. And essentially the Judaizers wanted to convert the Gentiles to Judaism as almost like a, a prerequisite to becoming Christian. So this, in a nutshell, is what the Judaizers' message convened. Salvation equals Jesus plus works. And here's how it went. Okay, so if you want to be part of our chosen people of, of God club that we've had going on for centuries, well, I'm sorry. Faith in Jesus simply is not enough. Jesus is necessary, but he's not sufficient. We need you to meet some other requirements. For starters, we, we want your men to be marked with circumcision. And, and you need to celebrate our Jewish holy days. And you need to stop eating bacon. Okay, right there, I would have been out of there, right? Circumcision, okay, I'm a grown man. You want to, with, with maybe a sharp rock or a dull knife, okay. But, but no bacon, I'm going to go back to worshiping statues. All joking aside, this was a serious matter. Because what the Judaizers were saying is that to be made right with God, you need grace plus works. You need what Jesus did plus everything that you need to do. Now today there are many kinds of Jesus plus approaches out there. And one of the, the greatest dangers, uh, uh, spiritual dangers, isn't necessarily from groups that deny Jesus altogether, but from the groups that twist and redefine Jesus. And they can sound God-honoring. They can use the Bible and, and even common lingo. But at their core, 
they undermine the essential role of Jesus. And, you know, at their surface, they can kind of make sense. Because after all, what's so bad about adding some good works to this message of grace? I mean, I, I thought God wanted us to be good, right? So why is this so terrible? But the fact is, none of them represented the one true gospel God himself delivered to us. And so then today, just as it was 2,000 years ago, in contrast, we have the one true gospel that Paul was defending, which looks like this. Salvation equals Jesus plus nothing. We're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul said, Jesus alone is enough. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is not only necessary, but he is completely sufficient. Jesus did all the work. There is nothing more that we must or even possibly can add to what Jesus has done for us. So Paul wrote Galatians in response to this false gospel of the Judaizers. And in his letter to them, it, it really opens with one of his standard greetings. But then unlike some of the, the pleasantries in, in Paul's other letters and his other epistles, he, he skips some of, of these niceties and just moves right in to really a, a rebuke, as to say, hey, this is urgent, as to say, I love you, so listen up, because you're in danger. This is serious, so I'm cutting right to the chase. And in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul does that right, just that. He cuts right to the chase. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, you are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. I mean, serious, it's, it's not just a minor issue. He's saying that if you adopt a Jesus plus works method or approach, you have been fooled. In spite, of, in spite of your intentions, you've actually turned away from God. He says, this so-called good news that these other guys are, are pushing on you is actually fake good news. And more than that, it's actually terrible news. And again, this is serious because the true good news is the message of what God has done to provide for our deepest need. The need for sinners to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven and to be at peace with our creator. So, another question. Why does this fake good news appeal to so many people or appeal really so much to people? Bottom line, we don't want to accept that we are helpless, wicked sinners who deserve judgment and desperately need to be rescued from God's holy wrath. 
Think, think of the most terrible crime against humanity, cor- corporately or individually, that you can think of. All right, stop thinking about that. That's a bad thought. But did you know that not trusting God is infinitely more hideous than the most terrible sin against humanity you can imagine? Every time we say, God, we don't trust you, essentially we're saying, God, you're a liar. And it's the basis of this distrust that we have for God that all other sin entered into the world. Yet we like to think, "Ah, you know what, we're basically good people. That we can measure up, that we can earn what we get in this life and the next. And guess what? It just so happens that if you do your research, earning a position of right standing with God is the basis for every single false, false system of faith, faith on the planet. And so people flock to them. And the common thread is human pride. But God's grace humbles us. The thing our, our spirit needs most, this undeserved favor, is, is repulsive to our flesh. Our flesh wants to earn it, wants some credit, wants the trophy, wants the glory. But God's grace is totally undeserved. God's grace doesn't allow even for a sliver for what our flesh craves. Short story. Many years ago, I found uh, our family was in, in a tough situation. And we ended up being on the receiving end of some charity. We had gone to actually a service project at church. And word had gotten around to our brothers and sisters in Christ that the Swan household was in trouble. And they literally began to pass a hat for us. Now, some of you have seen that those TV shows where uh, they, they come into a, a family that's got some trouble going on or maybe has some needs and they fix up their whole house. Remember that show? And then they come in and say, oh, now take a look at it. And people, and remember the reaction of the people that, it's just great. They're just all oh, filled with all this joy and, and, and all this gratitude. And, and I thought in this moment, that's what I would feel like. But the truth is, I felt humiliated. You see, when I became a Christian, God and I had this plan worked out, and it was like this. Hey, God, I'm going to be the one that delivers undeserved financial favors to others, not the other way around. And I actually found myself, I, I was grateful, but, but I had these feelings that were opposing this gratitude. I, I actually felt angry at God. And I realized that this was pride, and this pride that hated receiving charity for my physical needs was in play when it came to receiving provision for my spiritual needs as well. And so I I have learned that God wants us to embrace the sweet humility of grace in all things. And really, that's the deal we sign up for when we become Christians. We say, God, look, you get all the glory and I get all the grace. So today, 
You know, we, we just moved here about six months ago. We just moved into the house a few weeks ago. I got all sorts of work that needs to be done at the house. Come on out. Help me out. I'm not going not to turn you away. I'm not going to be upset about it one, one bit. I love free stuff. The fake gospel is evil. Satan uses it to leverage people's pride and places an impossible burden on those who attempt to work their way to God. And the grand prize, eternal damnation. It's wicked because it attempts to rob God of his glory. It's wicked by attempting to reduce Jesus to less than enough. But don't take my word for it. Here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about this fake good news. Verse 8, he says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And if you would continue reading in verse 9, he essentially repeats himself for emphasis. Paul says, I'm not going to be polite about this. The stakes are too high. Eternity is on the line. This is not just a friendly debate about different points of emphasis. He's saying that if you preach this fake gospel or, or any other gospel that does not match Jesus plus nothing, may you be cursed. In other words, may you be eternally condemned. In other words, and bluntly, if you preach another gospel, may you go to hell. That's how serious this was. And he warns them, he says, if someone shows up with a different message, even if it's from, from me or an angel from heaven, don't believe it. You see, the good news doesn't evolve. It's not progressive because our needs haven't evolved and we're not progressive. We're dead in our sins and trespasses and we need a complete savior. And any message that doesn't match the original is under God's curse. And something else I don't have this scripture for you up on the screen, but, but if you went on reading there in, in Galatians in verse 10, Paul goes on to say, obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So we're going to take a little break here. I want to speak to those in the room who you're saying, you know, Pastor John, I've heard this message before. I've believed on the true gospel. I get it. I, I bought the, sheet, the, the t-shirt, Jesus plus nothing. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I, I get it. We we all want to be liked. We, we want to please others. And indeed, we should be at peace with all people as far as it goes with us. That's Romans 12, 18. And Paul wrote that. But with the gospel at stake, with people's eternal destiny at stake, I think it's worth noting that Paul had a biblical exception to this rule. And just like Paul, we have all been called to go out and make disciples, followers of Christ. So will we press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call 
of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14, I believe. Or will we be satisfied with being voted most likely to go along to get along? So assuming that we want people to come to know the truth, that we want people to come to know this good news, well, then it would be important that we learn how to articulate it. So we're going to look at a few uh, scriptures from the book of Romans where Paul does that. I don't have this one for, this, for you on the screen either, but you can, you can look at it in your Bibles. Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Or summed up simply in Romans 3, verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our trust in Jesus Christ. And this is true for anyone who believes, no matter who they are. So again, this is the issue. How is a person made right with God? By following re- religious rules and traditions, by, be- by performing you know, good, good works, by doing more good than, than bad in their life, by avo- avoiding certain foods, by going to church a bunch, by being extra generous, by having good intentions or simply by having faith in Jesus. Based on the scripture we just read, the answer is simple. We are made right with God by placing our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And that's true for everyone who believes. It was true when Paul wrote it to the Galatians and the Romans, and it's true today. No matter your faith background or upbringing, no matter what your family says, no matter what your friends say, this is the gospel. And so I know this can kind of beg the question, right? So are, are you saying that if we just believe in Jesus, if we just trust him, that we can just go out in the world and, and just sin all we want? And Paul anticipates this question, and we will answer it in the weeks to come. But for now, let me give you one word that, that really sums up the true gospel and really all of Scripture. The word is grace. Grace is the sweet spot in our walk with Christ. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, when we're standing in God's grace, we have true freedom. Freedom from the bondage of the false gospel. Freedom from Jesus plus works, from trying to earn merit with God to be accepted by him. But also freedom and the power to live a life that honors him. Free from the bondage of sin and death and all the destruction that it leaves in its wake. So, in in light of today's discussion, I have this question for you. Another question. Are you trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? Or have you fallen for a different gospel? 
I've said this before, that our faith is only as good as the object we place it in. Is your faith in Jesus plus your best efforts? Do you want to earn it? Would you like some of the glory? Or would you lay down your pride and place your trust, place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf? Jesus plus nothing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so grateful, God, that you didn't make it complicated, Lord. You made it simple. You did, you did send revelation. Lord, you, you sent your son, Emmanuel, God with us, into this world, born of a virgin, to step into this sin mess that we created, to then willingly go to the cross to pay for our sin debt and then walk out of your grave, Lord, to give us life. And Lord, that's true for anyone who would believe, anyone who would believe. God, I I pray today that if there's a stumbling block in anyone's way, Lord, knock it down. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's people here today that are in the hallway but haven't opened the door yet to receive this free gift of salvation from you, God, that they would do so. Lord, that they would come to know you, that they would bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, not under your wrath someday, Lord, but now under your amazing grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.